I don't have this problem. I usually know what I want to say, and I usually have a pretty clear idea what I want to talk about. And I don't know, I can't figure out, I've been thinking for the past two days, since I got back, you know, to kind of somehow get a feel of where things are holding here. It's not just simply to give you a report of what's doing over there, but I don't know if you realize yet, but we really try to come up with the things that we feel the kids need to hear. And I don't know, for some reason, I'm at a loss. Maybe I'm a little confused because there were things I was feeling and there were things I was hearing and the times and many times I got through to the mosh and spoke to my wife, etc. Listening and watching to the news, listening to and watching the news. I think, you know, in a way it's a bit of a roller coaster of all kinds of different feelings. When I asked fellows today, what do you think I should speak about? I asked various fellows. It's interesting. Some people, you know, were saying, talk about something else. Talk about something else. Everyone's talking about the war. Talk about something else. So I really sat down trying to think about something else to talk about. And I guess I could. Maybe it would be easier in a way. But I keep being drawn back that as much as there are other things, and there are obviously many, many things to talk about Bichlal, at the same time there are things... You know, you, you keep getting drawn back um, because we are in a matzav. I want to tell you something that hit me very deeply while I was in the States. And it really goes back a couple of weeks. Any news is probably old news. But my wife was telling me, relating to me about some of the preparations that were taking place. Um, we had already studied this. The truth is, I don't know if you know, but the Mash and I took a course before this month ever started and how to deal with this kind of stuff. And it's exactly what they depicted for us. So I had a very clear idea of what it means, the safe room, the cheder atum, and the gas masks, and we had seen that, and I had seen the whole deal. You know, and at the same time, something that really hit home was that my wife told me that when she set up the, the, the room, or one of the rooms in our house, then she prepared certain things in the room, and she put some food and some water and stuff like that in the room. So my little batsian and little Shalom were in there. And, uh, you know, it was before the, I think it was, it must have been before the 15th or the 15th or whatever it was. And, uh, Batsian, little two-year-old, turned to Shalom. She says, what's going on? This doesn't belong here. It belongs in the kitchen. It doesn't belong in this room. So Shalom turned to Batsian and he says, why, don't you know? You know, like it hits home when this is what's going through the mind of a five-year-old. And it's scary. That's on the one hand. And therefore, I guess you're drawn back to the seriousness of the situation that we're in. My wife kept, interestingly, my wife kept, and I spoke to all the kids. And it's interesting, they all said, I asked, are you mefachadim? Are you afraid? Are you? And each one said, no, you know, Yechiel says, kill that Saddam Hussein, you and whatever other words he used. He knows all the good words. Anyhow, but, uh, you know, like in other people, you know, expressed, and Shalom keeps coming up with these things. You know, he says, Nachonima, is it right? Machar, all kinds of things, and you hear the kind of talk that's going on among the kids. And then I come back to the yeshiva and I hear all this talk, or certain types of talk going on among the guys. And at the same time, you know, like I said, we're drawn back, but at the same time, I'm trying to think to myself, what are the things that I really need to say? 
And I have no idea what other people have said or how they've said it. And the truth of the matter is we have Baruch Hashem, we have tremendous, tremendous Rabbeim who work very hard to be mechazek the Eilam and to give over the Eilam. And at the same time, in speaking to Rabbeim, it's an interesting thing. I'm just moving with one of the Rabbeim just before the Sichan. He's saying, he's telling me like, you know, how there's also like the sense of a certain sense of confusion that's going on. You know, because we don't know what to do. Who said, oh, someone says to do this, someone says to do that. Someone says not to use that, go into the room, not go into the room. This is, a, you know, and the truth is, you know, I didn't go through some of the things that you went through, obviously. You know, I didn't go through a week ago Shabbos, at which point, that's after that, my wife told me to come home. She said to be home for next Shabbos, because that right really wore the guys, you know, and people down. Right now, during the Sikha, for all we know, we could hear another siren. So I think to myself, what is the thing that I should try to give over? What are the things that I'm going through and what are the things that maybe, maybe, you know, sometimes somebody comes from the outside and someone who didn't go through certain things and therefore has an ability to have a certain view of things. So I guess in a sense what I really want to do now is to share with you some of my observations. There's a certain amount of Tyra, but really, really in a certain sense it's observations. One of the things that I observed, there are a couple of things that I observed as I was watching and listening in the States. I was absolutely amazed. There are a few things. One thing I found absolutely amazing was the communications. The communications, the way they were happening, it never, ever happened in the world before. What we're going through right now has never happened in the world, ever. I think you guys know already, because you've been in contact, there are conversations that people were having with people in the States, where in the States you knew and we knew as soon as there was any kind of attack anywhere, when the attack started and when the attack ended, and sometimes we knew when it ended before you ever knew. Amazing. Instantaneous communication. A war that's going on in one part of the world that you're following as it happens throughout the world. Not only CNN, but all the networks. They're there. And they're up on things. And it's absolutely amazing. And in a way, this goes back to what I was saying a while back. I gave a sikha a few weeks ago about, about Moshiach. And as I said at the time, I don't think any of us knows what's going to happen now. But one thing you see clearly, clearly, how the stage is set, how things have taken place in the world that can enable the happening of the Muslim Mashiach to happen in a way that we couldn't have imagined before. Whereas generations ago, how could the entire world, how could the entire world be affected in a way that one event can affect the whole world? And we see it today, like it was never seen before. Unbelievable. You could see how whatever is going to happen, however and whenever it's going to happen, how instantaneously the world is going to be able to be affected. And it's getting us that much closer. Whatever is going to happen. That's one thing that I observed. Another thing I observed was that this war is a very strange war. The way somebody put it, it's like 7-Eleven. You know, like, you know, like the training that can happen for the war that's going on now. You know, there hasn't been ground, uh, you know, engagements. And essentially, it's missiles attacking missiles, like space invaders or whatever, you know, and probably the best training could be in the, you know, like a high, you know, sophisticated video game or something like that, you know, and it's amazing. It's amazing the way you see certain things happen. I don't know what the must, what the, what the aside or what the lesson is. I don't know. But another thing I observed that's related to this that I found fascinating was as they were reporting about these things, you know, and I guess it goes back to the time of Reagan, when Reagan, you know, like, was fighting for the, the, the Star Wars, you know, like, you, you remember that? 
and he was saying like how this high-tech thing is the thing that has to be. And now people are mocking that because this high-tech war that's going on, right, without it, you know, without the Patriot missiles, right, it could be so much more gefährlich. Not that the Patriot is our salvation. I guess we'll talk about that shortly. But it's still amazing. I'll tell you something that I observed. One thing I observed, and I'm sure you guys must have picked it up in some way, how the world was observing all these defenses and all these sophisticated devices that have been developed in recent years, how no one knew how they're going to work. Did you pick that up? No one knew how they're going to work. No one knew what a Scud missile is going to do, even though they all have their estimations. And no one knew what a Patriot missile is going to be able to do. And suddenly, as he goes along, you observe how they work. And suddenly they saw that all of this training and all this preparation, the truth of the matter is, even when you followed more closely, and I know they do this much more in America than they do here, in talking to American soldiers, right? And you pick up the interviews and the discussions going on with American soldiers, how they've been trained, how they've been prepared, how they've been gone through their drills or whatever it is. And you see how they keep describing, well, it's exactly like whatever training mission we went on, that's exactly what's happening, that's exactly what we're doing. And you pick up something. You pick up that there's a lot of training that was going on. But no one knew how it's going to work. There's probably the most sophisticated training process that ever happened. And no one knew how it was going to work until it happened. And then that's the test. The test of all that training that happened. Now, I guess what I want to discuss now is something very similar for us. Because I think to a certain degree we've gone through training. And the training that we've gone through, truth of the matter is, did not really impact on us perhaps. Until now. And I see it. I look around. And I don't, I don't mean necessarily here. I look around. And I see how many of the things that are said and done, how when it really comes down to it, how people come out, how it comes out, how it comes through. What I want to talk about is, I guess what I want to talk about is Emunah. Now, I know, and again, I, I, at the risk of repetition, of being very repetitive, you know, we spend a tremendous amount of time, and you have, truth is, throughout your lives, many of you, if not most of you, right, have been, have gone through different aspects talking about Amuna. The only thing is, it's very hard to test our Amuna, because when things are going okay, and things are going our way, and when the small, you know, even our biggest, our biggest problem is what I'm going to do tomorrow night, Right? Or the way there was this letter. I'm sure you guys have seen it. This letter. You know what I'm talking about? This letter, I think it was posted up here, like, you know, which tie will fit, match my suit. You know? And when we see some of the piddling problems that we've dealt with in our lives, like how my girlfriend is going to react to this, or how many guys are going to, you know, like peer pressure, or whatever it is. Right? Then those things are not the big things. And when it comes down to it, these things, things like this, incident, you know, issues like this and what we're going through right now really become the test of our amuna. They're the test of our bitachim. Now, this is one of the things I want to I just dwell upon a little bit. You know, it's an interesting thing, and I know you've gone through this. I'm, I hope not to belabor it in any uh, you know, particular way. But I find I'm amazed how certain things in the Parshas just happen just at the time when they need to happen in the Parshas. And the way I was thinking to myself this Shabbos, I don't know how many of you guys were were, were, were uh, affected by this. You know, 
if we presented a parsha, right, like a movie, so naturally a movie has stars, right? So like, for example, who are the stars of Parshas Toldos? Right? So Parshas Toldos, you know, stars, right, are uh, Yitzchak and uh, Yaakov and Esau. They're the stars of Parshas Toldos, right? Who are the stars of Parshas Bishalach? Who would you say are the stars of Parshas Bishalach? Parshas Bishalach. We now presented Parshas Bishalach starring... Who's the star of Parshas Bishalach? Without a, without a doubt. Without a doubt. The supporting cast is definitely Moshe and Aaron and B'nai Yisrael. But without a doubt, there's one star in Parshas Bishalach. And that star is Hashem. And there's no question, maybe more than you ever find in any other Parsha. Because if you look at this Parsha, it's replete with various incidents. Various incidents. Not one. Various mice. The mice of Kriyas Yamsuf. Right? The mice of the Mon. The mice of the Milcham with Amalek. Just to mention a few. Right? And you take a look. What is all this leading to? What's all this pointing to? What is it all pointing to? Who's the star? What's happening over here? And it's telling us something, and if we don't hear it, we weren't listening. It's telling us when it says, Hashem Yilochem Lochem Vatem Tacharishum. When it's telling that B'nai Yisrael, right, and I know that somebody spoke about this before, when it tells us how B'nai Yisrael were, were forced, they were pushed, right, in a, in, into a situation where they were surrounded. They're surrounded on all sides, and in front of them is the sea, right? And Pio is chasing after them from behind. And then Hashem tells Moshe, tell them, V'yashuvu v'yachanu, which they piachiros. Let them turn around. Turn around and go back. Turn around and go back. It's the craziest thing in the world. Turn around and go back toward our enemy. And then it says, V'yasuchein. V'yasuchein. So what does Rashi say? They did so. So Rashi says, fascinating, I'm telling you, amazing, who's it talking to? Who's it talking to? It says, Vayasu they did so. So Rashi says, Lahagich Shvachan, to tell the praises of Yisrael, Shekom Shavu Lukol Moshe. They listened to Moshe. V'lo Omru, Heyach Nizkarevo Redfeinu. They said, they didn't say, how can we go back to our, those who were chasing us? That's crazy. They didn't say that. They didn't run away. They should have said, we have to escape, we have to run away, we have to flee, look what he's going to do to us. What they said is, all we have is the instructions of Moshe Rabbeinu that came from Hashem. And what is that? Hashem said, you have nothing else. You have me. Go. I'll take care of you. And we're told, and it's an interesting thing, Chazal tell us, there's a Gemara in sight. The Gemara says like this, Omar of Meir, Meir said, this was a story, that when they got to Yamsuf, the Shvatim were Menachim Zemzeh. They were arguing with each other. Each one says, I'm going to go first, I'm going to go first. Right? Until Shevet bin Yaman said, no, I'm going first. To which of Yehuda says, Lo This wasn't the incident. This is what happened. But rather, they all said, I'm going to go first, I'm going to go first. Nachshim ben Aminadav went first. So, one, one, uh, Adam Gadol, Rabbi Shua, from Kotna, 
you wrote a safe, you're sure smoker. Anyhow, but he writes, he explains like this. He says a little bit like a hop. He says, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda are not arguing. He says like this, that all along they were saying, right, this Rabbi Meir says, this Shevet says, I'll go first. This one Shevet says, I'll go first. This one says, I'll go first. To which Rabbi Yehuda says, yeah, that was a lot of talk. That was a lot of talk. Everybody said, but Lokachayamaisa. That wasn't when it came down to the Maisa, that's not what happened. Everybody said, I'm going to go first. Nachshon ben Aminadav didn't say, I'm going first. He went. He did it. Action. He put it Lamaisa. Lamaisa. And in a sense, this is what we're dealing with. What we're dealing with is Lamaisa. Lamaisa. And Lamaisa, here was where the confusion comes in. How to deal with this? How do I deal with this? What do I do? What do I do? And I've spoken to various fellows, and, and it, it, it hurts. It hurts when I see a certain demoralization that's happened in the yeshiva. There's a demoralization that's happened that, that you know, like fellas, because of, mostly, mostly because of their parents. And because their parents, and this is another observation that I've found, and I, I really haven't figured it all out. But because of fears the parents have had, for various reasons, whatever it may be, Many parents have called their kids back. And as a result, each kid who's left has really gotten to us. You know, and I can sense it. I can sense that there's a certain a sense of, of, of loss, a certain sense of, of desolation, a certain even a depression that some fellows may have gone, gotten into because of those fellows who have left. Right? And I want, I want you to know that, at least in my involvement, what, what I found when I was in the States and talking to people that there were many, 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 if not, you know, I mean, just almost all of those that I spoke to were all saying, we can't wait to get back. And the parents want their kids back here. And I don't know exactly what's going to happen because no one knew what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. I will tell you, I got the first call this morning, and I don't know how many of you heard it, but David Nussbaum's father called me up this morning. And he said that he's helping, Mir Hashem, what's that? He, he called the Dorn and he said that he's making his plans. He's making his plans to come back this week in Yerush Hashem. Now, what happened? What happened was that everyone is elated. Baruch Hashem. The parents are elated by how their kids are doing. They see, they're, they're, they're tremendous. They feel tremendous about what they saw. They were afraid. But they're realizing, and it's funny how it's affecting people. I'm telling you, how each person is affected. You come to the realization that it's up to you how you're going to be affected. Because the same facts can tell you one way, the same facts can tell you another way. And exactly what's happened over here is, there's still a war, and there's no telling how long it's going to go on. Meanwhile, you saw how the fellow was doing. So his father said, he insisted he come home. When David came initially, it was unbelievable. And it wasn't just David. David is learning in Passaic, and these other guys are learning in Barkei Noam, and these guys are learning here, and Avi Margalit made a Seder in Riverdale, and there are different people, you know, like making storm and yeshivas and doing all kinds of things, getting up for minion every morning and all kinds of wonderful things. And the truth of the matter is, it's indicative of a certain sense and a certain commitment that they had. But at the same time, it's hard to keep. And what some of the fellows have told me, and I just want to share with you a little bit, if I can, that those people, you know, like uh, I, I saw Kobe and Mitch several times. You know, and Kobe was telling me, I don't know what he's going to do in the end, but I believe it's honestly not so posh at what he's going to do. Because Kobe was telling me as soon as he got it, he was very straight with himself, that he had made certain Kabbalists for himself as far as what he wants to do, because he wants to be a Fermiyid, and he wants to keep certain bottom line things, and he saw how hard it is. And as a result, he's really torn as far as whether to stay, whether not to stay. But we know, uh, those of us who have been involved, know the difficulties that they, and, and, you know, some others have gone through. The point being that, that there are certain, you know, thoughts 
But at the same time, what guys have gone through is their bakara, their appreciation of what has happened here in the vein, what's happened to them to change them. And when you look at the same facts and you see, so then war's going on. But, it, you know, as far as what it's going to do, as far as my hatzlacha, as far as my son's hatzlacha, you know, and I see that it's a certain difficulty in keeping up certain kabbalas, so then we can look at it differently. And maybe what do we see? We see patriots do work. Does that mean we know it's going to be? It doesn't look like Telstone is a target. Good. All along we could have said that. Everyone knew that Telstone is not a target. Right? We still don't know what he's going to come up with and what Saddam Hussein is going to come up with. But maybe that's something to still continue talking about. But at the same time, one thing we realize is you can look at the facts. And you can look at the same facts and then decide how you're going to use them, depending on how you want to choose. And I think in a sense that's the kids who have gone through whatever they've gone through because of their parents, because of their parents' insistence and fears and nightmares, whatever it is, right? That's something, it's not something to knock, it's not something to put down, it's not something to say like, you know, who's good guy, who's a bad guy, who's a cowboy, who's an Indian, you know? That's not the point. But the point is to understand, as we say all the time, to understand not to judge, but at the same time looking at ourselves. How do we deal with it? What do we do? What do we do? What's our role? And the irony of it is, you guys, the same way as I said before, everyone has a choice how to deal with it. You guys have a choice. You have a choice. Not only the choice of whether to stay in Eretz Yisrael or go home. Not only that choice. But the choice is now that you're in Eretz Yisrael. What are you doing? What are we doing? What are we, what are we, what's, what are we doing here? The way some of the fellows said to me, they said in so many words, we just don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, at first I really tried to keep up certain things and it, it dwindles, it's hard after several nights without sleep and after trying to keep up a certain Seder and I don't know myself what's going on. I don't know myself what's going on. What am I doing here? I want us to understand a little bit. If you haven't heard already, which I can't imagine that you haven't heard, but, but I really want us to understand the importance of what we're doing here. You know, every person, I think, wants to make a difference. Every person wants to matter. And if a person knew that what I'm doing makes a difference, a real difference, a meaningful difference, then my life becomes worth living. The way I heard Rabbi Wine put it once, he said, how do you think the 12th man in the Miami Heat feels? You know, do I really matter? You know, even though he did make it in the NBA. You know, but we want to matter. Everyone wants to make a difference. Do we realize, do we realize the importance of what we have here? Do we realize the importance of what we could be doing here? What our role is? You know what hurt me very much? Something that hurt me much to the depths. Unfortunately, there were many, many yeshiva bachim. And I'm not talking necessarily our type, Neve guys. I'm talking yeshivas. Baruch Hashem, these guys are learning and they're learning very well. And I'm not trying to criticize or knock or whatever it is. It's not my job. It's not my department. But I can tell you what hurt. What hurt is, and I want you to hear this klar. There's an item in Yediyot Acharonot that I saw in the States. I want you to hear this klar. Because I think if we listen, wake them up, wake them up, do me a favor. Danny, Danny, you up? This is one thing I want you to hear, okay, please. That in the Diyata Haranat, there was an item that said like this, because they're looking, unfortunately, the Chiloniim. And they said like this, they said, here, 
you know, the most sensitive issue in Israel, probably domestic issue, is the issue of yeshiva boys that don't go to the army. And the Zayda Yediyat said something to the effect that here, all of you, you know, Haredim, who say you don't go to the army. And why have you told me you don't go to the army? You've told us you don't go to the army because in the base medrash, you're learning in the base medrash. And what you do in your yeshivas protects Israel. So how is it that hundreds of yeshiva bachrim at this time should have left Israel and gone back to America? Now, so you know, when I mentioned this to certain people, I mentioned it because it hurt me. It hurts me. It eats me up. And I mentioned it to certain people, so some people told me, no, but that's Americans. And that eats me up. Because does it make a difference whether you have a blue, blue, blue book or not? We're talking about the protection of Eretz Yisrael. And is it our Eretz Yisrael any more than it's your Eretz Yisrael? And it eats me up. It, Mamish, I'm telling you, I can get ulcers from this. That I hear that there are people, you know, who Mamish feel, you know, you talk about a gullus mentality. And you talk about Zionism. And you talk about feelings about Eretz Yisrael. And at the same time, you know, people get into arguments. Do you say it's filali shlomam dina? And what do you do on Yom Ha'atzmaut? And at the same time, there I sensed, I sense in our people, it's a terrible situation. I'm not condemning the people themselves, but I'm just decrying the situation. That we have a situation in this world where we have a gullus and we have people in Chutzlaret who live well and they have very good things and they have a Baruch Hashem, they have yeshivas also. And they have comforts and they have all of these things. And at the same time, you start getting this feeling. Shalom yihi ali. Let me get out of there. Let me get out of there. Who knows what's going to happen in Israel? I want to be safe. What is this indicative of? It's indicative of a, of a call it a sickness. Nebuch. A sickness in our people. Where we feel that there's a difference between an American Jew and an Israeli Jew. And there is no difference. We're all one people. I spoke in one of the shuls in Los Angeles. And I mentioned, I think I've told you this before, and I'll tell it to you again. Because I think it's very important. There's a chazal that says, <clears throat> like this, and I'll tell you the story. There's a, there, once there was, a, uh, there was this Bayless trial. There's a guy named Mendel Bayless who was excused, accused of a blood libel. So they knew that the trial was not only a trial of Mendel Bayless, but it was a trial. It was at the beginning of the 20th century. And this trial, they knew it wasn't only a t- trial of Mendel Bayless. This trial was a trial of Judaism. So one of the one of the lawyers, one of his lawyers is a firm Jew. So he knew that this was going to be challenged. He would have to prepare his case. So he went to the chart cover Rebbe's and he went to him and he asked him an because he says one of the things they might come at me with is that it says in the Chazal, it says Atem Kruyim Adam, Kruyim Adam. You are called Adam, and the nations of the world are not called Adam, which certainly would seem to imply. Right? Many of us could have the same kasha. That would seem to apply, imply to many of us that non-Jews are a substandard species. Right? Now, without getting into, you know, like the Kabbalah aspects of this issue, right, we said, they're going to ask me. And therefore, it's going to look like, hey, you know, you can spill their blood. We can draw, use their blood in our matzahs or wine or whatever it is. So, so the trade cover ever explained to him, no, 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 no. Here's a shot. And this is what you should explain if they ask you. They say, if an Italian, or whatever nation he said, I don't remember. He says, if an Italian is woken up in the middle of the night at 5 o'clock in the morning, and on trumped up charges, he's put into jail. He's put into jail. So does the entire Italian world, wherever they are, 
Does, the, does Bensonhurst go crazy? Does the entire Italian world go crazy? Just because one Italian is put in jail? At the same time, I don't, I don't think it's, they do. They don't. But when one Jew is hurting, the entire Jewish people feel it. I've seen it. We've all seen it. We've seen when a child in Pittsburgh, a child, an Israeli child, needs a certain transplant surgery in Pittsburgh and doesn't have money, they raise money in shuls all over the world. Because Atem Kurim Adam, you're one body. Atem Kurim Adam, you're one body. And no other nation in the world, nationality in the world has this, that we are one body. So I tried to convey to some of the people in Los Angeles. I say, so now we have a situation in Eretz Yisrael. And the situation in Eretz Yisrael is an ace sorrow. So we're one body, we feel it. So I said, how do you feel it? Do you feel it like a scratch of your finger? Or is it a heart attack? Chas Shalom, a fatal heart attack. Unfortunately, I sense that there's a sickness. But too many people don't feel this enough. And it mamish eats me up. Because we are one people. And it doesn't make any difference whether we're American or Canadian or Israeli or French, whatever it is, or German. The Jewish people are one people. And whatever book, little book you carry, our Eretz Yisrael is our Eretz Yisrael. And that's our real Zionism. That's what our real, where our heart lies. That's where we lie. That's where our feelings lie. And therefore, those of us who are here now, it's not a joke. Everyone wants to matter. Everyone wants to do something. I was speaking to one of the fellows this morning who was born here in Eretz Yisrael. It happens that he's an American now. He lives in, his family lives in America. He's here in the yeshiva. I say, you, if you had stayed here in Israel, you know, you would be in the army now. How many of you guys, Rabbi Sai, how many of you guys either have participated or had cheshek to participate in Shomer Yisrael because I want to do Shmirah. And Shmirah is a very important thing. But understand what we have here, guys. Rabbi Sai, Chazal teach us. I told you the story. I told you a story with Ruchaskel Abramsky and Shimon Paris. The Ruchaskel Abramsky once got together, was together with Shimon Paris at the beginning. When they first allowed for this tour for Yeshiva Bakr. And Rabbi Chaskel Abramsky was one of the Gedolei Ador. And she and Shimon Peres were talking. So Shimon Peres was telling them the argument that, that, that you hear from so many. He said, how these mitcham kim, how is it that they don't go to tzavah? The other people's children are giving their lives and these people don't go. Why? Because they're learning Torah. What kind of tour is that? So Rukhasko Abramsky told him like this. He says, I understand you. I understand you. Given where you're coming from, I understand you 100%. But what do I do? I just want you to understand. Chazal teach us. Chazal teach us. And he mentions this medrash. The medrash says that there was no greater, the medrash, the Yalkut and Parshas told us, says there was no greater philosoph than Avnimus Hagar, Bilam Harasha, Ben Ba'ar, and Avnimus Hagardi. Whoever this Avnimus Hagardi was. But it tells it like this, that the Umos HaOlam came to Avnimus Hagardi and they said to him, how can we overcome the Jewish people? So Avnimus Hagardi said to them, 
go to their Bate Knesios and Bate Midrashas. And if you hear the call of children calling out in their Bate Knesios and Bate Midrashas, if you see Yeshiva Bakram sitting and learning, if you hear them davening, if you hear the call of their Torah, there is no way you can conquer them. This the great philosopher, the great Chacham of Lumos HaOlam told them. But if you don't hear their voices, then you found their weakness. You can conquer them. So if Chasko told him like this, he says, I understand. I understand you 100%. But let's say you tell me that Yeshiva Bacham had to leave the Bata Midrash and go to the army. So what's going to be as a result? As a result, the Nerzi Yisrael does not have this protection. And if Nerzi Yisrael doesn't have this protection, the Nerzi Yisrael becomes a Makam Sakana. It becomes a place of danger. And then if somebody asks, should I make Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael? Well, there's a halacha. You can't go to a makam sakana. So he says, you just have to understand that I'll have to pass to people not to go to Israel. Because it's, an, it's a makam sakana. Because the protection of Eretz Yisrael lies in its Bateh Midrash. Now, something that's very hard for us to see, it's very hard for us to understand, unless we have our emunah. And this is the thing that it all comes back to, and it keeps coming back to it. Emuna. What do we believe? We're taught that we protect Israel. And if each one of us realize we protect Israel, we are as much a part of the force as someone standing on the front. I think I told you the story with Rechaim Shmulevitz that I saw. I was there during the Yom Kippur War and I went to a kinos for Yeshiva Bachrim. There was a gathering for Yeshiva Bachram in Yemeyasharim Yeshiva. And Rukhaim Shmuel Levizatzal told everyone, and I don't know if we've heard it more clearly as we had heard it from him in those days. He says, You don't go to the army because your post is in the base Medrash. What right do you have to leave your post and dray around in the streets and even go just hanging out wherever you hang out and even go out to listen to the Khadashat? What right do you have? You're leaving your post, you're going AWOL. That was a message that he attempted to convey and he successfully conveyed to many of our Bachar. To many of our Bachar. Because that's, if we have emuna, then that's what's going on, Rabbi Yisai. Hashem yilachem lachem. Everything turns back to the Rebbeinu Shalom. You look at every single part, going back to last week's Parsha. The man. The man. Chazal tell us. Chazal tell us. They asked Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, it's Gemar and Yuma. They asked Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, why didn't HaKadosh Baruch Hu give them the man once a year? You know, Lahavdi, like, you know, like the astronauts have this concentrated food, right? Why didn't you give them once a year? So Rav Shimon Bar Yochai asked, I'll give you a marshal. Let's say if there's a father. I'm sure we're familiar with this kind of situation. Where you have a father, and he gives his son his allowance once a year. So once a year, his son comes to visit him to get his allowance. Right? How many of our parents come back to us? I know I hear it from parents all the time. Yeah, I speak to my kid whenever he needs money. Right? So therefore he says, if I gave it to them once a year, then they come to me once a year. But this way, if I give them money every day, then they come to me every day. A fellow, a father of four or five children, he says, he's going to want to know that his kids are going to have their food tomorrow. So he turns to me every day. So that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu did what he did so everyone should turn 
And I want you to know, I hear tremendous things, tremendous things from all kinds of different things from Gedolim. And I hear all kinds of things that have been said and they're wonderful things. Everything should be Mekuyim. But there's one thing that I know. I know that we have a direct line. Each and every one of us has a direct line. Certainly, there's a very beginning that we have to listen to Gedolim Torah. But Rabbi Sa, you don't need the Gedolim for this. You've got a direct line to the Rebbeinu Shalaylam. And when you ask yourself, you ask yourself, what does the Rebbeinu Shalaylam want me to do? What does Avi Shabashamayim, my father, what does he want me to do? Is there any question? How to do it is a different question. How to be able to do it. How to be able to put in the hours. How to be able to calmly be able to deal with the situation. It's a different question. Is there any question what he wants? There's a portion of the Milcham of Amalek. So we know the famous Mishnah. There's a famous Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah. That when Moshe lifted his hands, then the Jewish people won. When he put his hands down, the Jewish people were losing. So they held up his hands, right? So the Mishnah asks, Excuse me. Did the hands of Moshe perform wars? Moshe was a Gadol Adar, but was it Moshe Rabbeinu who won or lost the war? Did the Shofar's Muhammad or break war? El Eloimerloch is telling you, she calls man shehayu Yisrael mistaklin klapei malo, that whenever the Jewish people looked up, umishabdim es libam laviem shabashamayim, and gave their hearts, sub- submitted their hearts to their Father in Heaven, hayu miskabrim, then they were victorious. Vim lav hayu nafrim, if not they fell. We can't fall. We must not fall. But it's very simple. If we have a muno, if we believe that there is a creator, and we believe that this creator reacts and responds, and he guides those missiles, and we believe that the creator knows what he's doing, and he knows better than any one of us, and if we believe that this creator wants me to put in whatever I can here, because he's told me that this kol kol Yaakov that when the call of Yaakov is heard, the Yodaim of Esav cannot win. Then if I feel it, if I feel it, if I know it and I feel it, then there's nothing to be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid. Doesn't mean that I know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. No one knows what's going to happen. But I know that I don't have to be afraid. I know. And I realize I didn't go through whatever you guys went through in the beginning and all the confusion and all the, the terror, perhaps. But maybe I have the benefit of coming in now. I don't know what's going to happen. None of us knows. But I can tell you, you guys asked me, how did it feel? I came up here as soon as I arrived in Eretz Yisrael, just shortly afterwards I came up to the yeshiva. And as we're talking here in the base medrash, sure enough, there was an error of the siren. So we went in. How did you feel? I put on, you know, I almost put on the gas mask. And then Friday night, sure enough, and it was ironic because my wife had asked me to come home before Shabbos so I could help out with the family. And meanwhile, those two air raids, I was in the yeshiva. I wasn't at home. You know, Baruch Hashem, she handles it very well. It was ironic. But how did I feel? I'll tell you, I didn't feel. I felt that there are things we have to do. I think that any of us are fools if we don't go in if there's a siren. I don't think we're on the madrega of some of the great gedalim, you know, I think every one of us, we go in, but we go in calmly. Right? It doesn't mean that we mosey in. We go in calmly. If we're told to put on our gas mask, we put on our gas mask, we close up the room, but we're not afraid. 
We're not afraid because of Avinu Shabashamayim. And he knows what he's doing. We're not afraid because we know that by what we're doing here, we're accomplishing something. What we're doing matters. You know what the Rambam says? The Rambam says this is the way a person should always deal with his life. Is if half the world, right? If half the world is Chayav and half the world is Zarkai. Right? And if I am half Chayav and half Zarkai. And therefore, every act that I do can tip the scales of the world. Every act that I do can tip the scales of the world. That's the way a person should look at his life. That's how we have to look. We're in a situation, though, that's clear to us. It matters. What we do makes a difference. We can protect Eretz Yisrael, do our little share, by making ourselves be able. And when I hear from a fellow that I'm disheartened and I'm discouraged because a fellow left or because of this and because of that, and it's a, I understand. Believe me, how do you think we feel? It eats us up. You know, we work so hard to put the yeshiva together. Mind you, I don't think the yeshiva's fallen apart. I'm very hopeful because I see the chizuka, I see the changes, and I see the, the bezos Hashem. Right? There's a tremendous amount that's been done. There's a tremendous amount that we can do. I, can, I know that if we handle it right, which is our choice, we'll grow out of this experience. I know that we matter. I know that we can do something. We have to be mechazik ourselves. We have to be able, enable ourselves to get into the base measures. This is not a time for, for, for Narish Kaiten. It's not a time when folks, I need a break. It's not a time for breaks. It's a time to put in the effort. And we're capable of that effort. We just have to find the ways, depending what we learn and how we learn. If you can't learn, then we say Tehillim. If you can't say Tehillim, then let's do something. But whatever it is, it makes a difference. That's our role. And our Tfilis. Our Tfilis. You know, Chazal, I told you this earlier in the year also. It says, Paro Hikriv. He brought near. So she said, Paro Karav. He came near. What does not mean he brought near? So Chazal, the Medrash describes him, I'll be marshal. says, it's like a man, you know, who was a king, who was passing by, and he saw this princess in distress. So he went and he saved her. And he brought her to his castle. But it didn't take very long until she didn't want to see him anymore. So what did he do? He went and he hired robbers to go and try and attack her again. And then he'd save her again. Because by attacking her, then she would turn to him and then he'd save her. And then she would appreciate him. So by the same token, that's what it says, Hashem, after they came out of Mitzrayim, they very quickly lost sight. Which, by the way, teaches us. It's very easy to lose sight. Even after a few days. But then we need another reminder. So then he brought Kriyas Yamsu. He brought Paro to come after them. And Paro Hikrif, he brought them closer. So Rukhatsko Levenstein said that the Pshad is, we think that we daven because these things happen. And we don't realize that many things happen so that we should daven. Because in the bottom line, in this world, the closer people come to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the more the fulfillment of the taklis of the world is. And therefore our tefillahs and our learning matter. And therefore, that's something that we have to be mechazik ourselves to be able to do. And all of the training, and all of the teaching, and all of the discussions, and all of the emuna, the way the fellows have told me about how they took care of the God thing, and all these beliefs, they come into play now. Now is the time. Well, we have to make them work. And the Ezra Hashem, right? Hinei kel Yeshuasi, 
Right? This is Hashem, my salvation. Eftach below Efchad. I have faith and trust, and I won't fear. Hashem. Hashem is my strength. And He should be our salvation. Thank you.